This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's Civilized Barking, Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd talking about the soon-to-be 20-0 Cleveland Browns. Another draft is in the books. Cleveland's draft is in the books. Jason, before we uh, dive in, you went down on Thursday. Um, I mostly consumed it from afar. I gotta say, like, I am a cranky old man. Everybody who knows, who listens knows that. But had it been the full, full draft experience with just overflowing, I wouldn't have missed the people watching, the jersey watching. Um, I know it's it's been rave reviews across the board for how Cleveland handled it, how the Sports Commission and the NFL and all the local authorities, you know, dealt with everything. Um, you know, just take everybody through your impressions of, of being down there on Thursday night. Man, it was so good just to be back around people and just, it felt normal. I mean, it really felt like a normal setting. And yeah, there were masks and people were in masks, but it just, it that was the first time where it felt like what life used to be like. And and so that was really encouraging and that was a lot of fun. That was really my biggest takeaway. I, you know, I remember, I, so... Our credentials were not good for the for the pavilion for like where like Roger was and where the whole draft was. Media was not supposed to be in there, but I just went in there anyway. I was gonna say and I know you went in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in there for like an hour and a half before somebody figured out. He's like, "Hey, uh, that credential, you're not supposed to be in here." I'm like, "Well, I've been here for an hour and a half. I don't know what you want me to tell you." <laughs> He's like, "Well, you got to go like get lost to the back. You can't be here." But by that point, like I'd seen everything I needed to see, so. So I'm like, I'm like 30 feet from the stage and, and Kings of Leon's performing and I'm not like a huge Kings of Leon fan, but like just to have live music again and just like a concert setting with the lights and, and just, it was great. And people on Twitter were mocking me like, you know, Kings of Leon isn't really a concert. That's not really music. I'm like, shut up. Yes, it is. Tonight it is. This is great. And to see the bars packed with people and to see people out in the streets and yeah, people were wearing stupid costumes, and that was great. Normally, I'd roll my eyes at them, like, get a life loser. But it was great. <laughs> I loved it all. The face paint, the cheering, the chanting, the booing of the Steelers, the, the, the cheering of Bernie Kozar, the booing of Goodell. Like, it was, it felt normal again. It was wonderful. Cleveland knocked it out of the park. In my eyes, Cleveland is two for two now in, in recent memory and recent history here. People were raving about Major League Baseball's All-Star Game when it was here in, what was that, 2019, and what a fabulous job the city did, and they really did. That was wonderful. The, the shots that I saw on TV of the draft were spectacular, and I, I to me, you know, David Gilbert and his crew get a standing ovation for all that they've done for the city of Cleveland. It's, it's really a, a fun time downtown, and now we get to do it again for NBA All-Star next year, but that one's not going to be nearly as warm as even what the draft was in the rain and all-star weekend in, in major league baseball. So Cleveland's on the up it's coming. And uh, it was a lot of fun to be part of. Well, I am just going to tell you guys this. I don't know if we've ever talked about this two years ago when the Browns had all the hype and they had the first game when they played the Titans and lost by 30. <laughs> Jason calls me at like eight 30 on Saturday night, the night before the game. Right. And so, yep. Like, I think something's wrong. Like, I think something like Jason and I talk all the time, but it's on our messaging app or on text right. or on email chains and mandatory meetings and all this. And and we certainly talk on the phone fairly often, but not at 830 on Saturday night. So I'm like, <laughs> who died? What happened? <laughs> and he's like, hey, um, 
what do you think about me just going down there? Right. And this is obviously pre pandemic and down yep. there, meaning the Muni lot and surrounding areas. And I just think, and it's still a little bit knock on wood because we don't know what's going to happen with training camp and NFL regulations. But from everything I know, the Browns plan to have full stadiums by the time the games come around in September. And I mean, first of all, the ticket ticket scalpers are going to get some of their money back. But just what do you think that's like with the hype for this team, the wait with the pandemic, um, and just the pent up twenty three years of mostly sucking? The Browns finally get good, and twelve thousand people can go right. And now they're coming out like I think you're going to be going down there again, unless unless I'm already there. Oh my goodness, that's a great point. So yeah, you're right. It was actually it was probably even later than that because. I was getting ready to go to bed the night before the Titans game, and I checked Twitter one more time, and I see about, like, these lines miles long to get into the Muni lot on Saturday night. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is nuts. So I get out of bed, get dressed, and drive down there. I think that's when I called you. So it's like – I was probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock when I got down there, and and the lines were miles long to get into the entrances. And I had a great time just talking to Browns fans and hearing their stories and what the Browns mean to them and – what I mean, you know, th- those four people, they had their hopes up and were so excited. And then Freddie <laughs> fell on them and, and just crushed all of their dreams. They might line up. They might line up for the opener this year in August. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't even, I can't even imagine. Well, like, that was Wednesday premature. Night. This is not. Yeah. Um, next Wednesday night, May 12th, the schedule comes out. Um, now, I believe that most of you guys listening to this already knew it. And and I, I felt like from a Brown standpoint, there's more hype for that than there was for the draft, picking 26th. <laughs> uh, but listen, I, I, I believe there's a chance that the Browns opener will either be at Kansas City on the first Sunday night or it will be a division game on, on the first Monday night football game. I really think those are, yeah. are, are real possibilities. I mean, you know, I don't know if they're going to lift the limit from six to seven with the 17th game or if they're just going to waive it altogether at the end of the year with the new flex scheduling policies. But, like, guys, this this is going to be a max primetime game team. This is a team that yep. plays at Kansas City, plays at Green Bay, plays the Chargers with Justin Herbert, um, you know, and then has these division games, which are all made for TV, right? Yep. So, like <laughs> – Yes, the hype is here. There's no running from it. The Browns have to confront it. That's part of it. But listen, why are the Browns in this position? They have really good players. I just got done doing a live chat, and I got asked the same question. You know, where do they rank roster-wise? Well, they're up there. Um, The total cop-out, but truth is it doesn't matter if it's the best roster, third best roster, fifth best roster, you know, second, but with one fatal flaw, whatever. When you're good enough, you have a chance. They have a lot, as I've been saying now for a year, they have a lot of good players. They have a few great ones. They have really smart people running the team. And they came from out of nowhere to go 11-5 and five and win a playoff game and get the gift of gifts with Patrick Mahomes being knocked out, and they came that close, and it's sickening. But they followed that up by remaking the defense. And for all I told you about the defense stunt, there's going to be nine new starters on that defense. Um, they have not made – they've made very few – controversial decisions. They have mostly made smart, sensible decisions. They thought they had to move on from Sheldon Richardson. We'll see how that works out. You know, they thought they had to go safety instead of big money edge rusher. We'll see how it works out with Clowney and his injury history. But like, it's all there. Jason, this isn't, you know, an angry fan base saying about time we got some attention. This isn't players saying we're better than we think and it's about time the rest of the league respects us. 
this is there. They're in your face. The hype is real. The odds, the gambling odds reflect it. And we're going to see in September through January if the Browns are ready for all this. So, well, since you just got asked it 37 times on uh, on the Q&A, let's, let's dig into it and we'll, I'll ask you the 38th time. The only team in the AFC to me that looks like they're better on paper is the Chiefs. And, and that doesn't mean the Browns can't beat them because they damn near beat them last year. So, But, you know, to me, if you put the Browns roster up against the Bills and the Ravens, and I understand we're playing the paper game, and it doesn't matter on paper, it only matters on the field. But expectation-wise, the only team that I would look at, and to me that I would say, yeah, that team's probably better than Cleveland, would be Kansas City. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, now, you do get into the nitpicking of – you know, how do you match up with certain teams? They didn't play Buffalo last year. They don't play Buffalo this year. Um, now, the last three times the Browns have seen Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson has had his way, like named his number pretty much. Uh, now, Baker has also played pretty well against the Ravens if you take out last year's season opener, which obviously everybody knows that was the Ravens could have scored 100 in that game. The Browns just weren't ready to play. It wasn't a fair matchup, right? right? Um, yeah, I think they're right there. I, <laughs> I do. I, I don't think... I understand why the Ravens made the trade, the Orlando Brown trade, but they certainly didn't get any better in the meantime. Did that surprise that. you? No, I think they were they were painted. They have to pay Lamar. They they have to keep the core pieces of that defense together. And they have Ronnie Stanley, who they made the highest paid O-lineman of all time last year. And the next week he got hurt, snapped his leg. So uh, they, they just weren't going to be able to keep those guys. And so they made the trade to ensure that they could get the wide receiver that they wanted and still address the needs that they had. Um, the Ravens are a really good organization. They were in second place last year and they had won the division the two prior years. I think a lot of us have forgotten that the Browns were in third place, but the flip side of that is I think it's a hundred percent fair to say that the Browns have the most talent in the division. The Browns at a plus number to win the division seems like a bet you should be hustling to make and that all the expectations and realities that the Browns are going to have to go through Baltimore or Buffalo or Kansas City or ideally some combination of those teams in December, in January is legit. It is. I, I really think it is. All right, let's dig into to the draft, obviously. And I guess, you know, we, we know by now who they picked and, and how they fit, and we'll get into that. But the thing that I think struck me about this draft right away, Notre Dame, Auburn, Ohio State, Georgia, and then you, I'd even throw in, you know, Northwestern, UCLA, West Virginia, Cincinnati. These are, it seems for so many years, the Browns were trying to find that quarterback from the division two school. Nobody ever heard of. And it, it, they're, they're drafting big time talent from, from blue blood universities. Like why that's so hard to comprehend and why that seems so groundbreaking. I'm not really sure, but it doesn't feel like that was always done that way in the past. And and the, the really cool thing about the smart people working for the Browns is they don't try to outsmart themselves. Right. I, I think there's a model of, okay, we trust what we see, and we've evaluated these guys in big games. We've evaluated these guys over multiple years. We know their traits. Um, JOK did not run a 40. Well, the Browns value athletic traits, but they weren't going to knock or crown one guy off of pro day because they had seen what they had seen. He played in the college football playoff last year. Right. There's multiple games against Clemson on tape for Owusu Karamara. You know, uh, Greg Newsom, arguably the best game in his career, the Big Ten title game last year. Like you've seen it. Right. Um, Anthony Schwartz. Yes. Auburn every single Saturday playing against NFL defensive backs 
running by them. Yes. So especially this year, Jason, where you were getting limited interaction. Andrew Barry was not out on the pro day circuit, and the Browns were not trying to do what they did in past regimes and reinvent the scouting wheel, right? He went to a couple of pro days. Other than that, he did his work because they trusted what they saw. They trusted the scouts they've employed. Most of them have been employed by the Browns for years, and they just said, okay, we are going to make smart, sensible picks. Nobody who opted out, right? Um, Nobody with huge red flags, and they insist that the Part thing that Adam Schefter reported with JOK is not a major thing. And I have to believe them. I don't, there's nothing in their DNA that says they were going to take that guy, right? If they thought it was a huge red flag. So yeah, I completely agree. The the model is that they're going to go after good football players with athletic upside. And they're going to know, maybe not ready to play in the NFL at a high level on day one. Cause I think all of us are ready to, to assume guys are amidst the draft type. But they're going to know that those guys belong on the field with the best players in the world when they come in. And you look at last year, losing the offseason, Jed Wills' brand-new position did just fine, <laughs> right? Like, they trust what they have. And it's not an arrogance as it's been in the past. It's a confidence in, okay, do we believe in this guy enough that we can trade up in the second round and take him and he can play for us? Yes. Kevin Stefanski, do we believe that we're ready to play this week and we trust in our game plan? Yes, and I, I think a little bit of that is personality. Um, but they seem to be authentic, and they seem to be authentically on the same page in terms of we believe in what we see and what we want to do, and we've been working on it for months and talking about it for months. And we're not going to have a big blow-up or a big argument or a big detour two days before the draft or during the draft. We're going to take Greg Newsom because we think Greg Newsom's the third or fourth best cornerback in the draft, and we can't believe we're getting him at 26, right? Yeah, We're going to yeah. take Anthony Schwartz because right after defense, the biggest thing on our board is a receiver that can take the top off and make safeties and linebackers pay. And, like, I don't care if he gets four touches a game. We think he can score touchdowns in those four touches. So, yeah, it, it's it seem, you're right. You're completely right in the way you worded it, that it seems ridiculous to be celebrating the simple – but based on the past, it's a it's a stark turn from what we've seen. Is it crazy to think JOK may make the biggest impact of the rookie class when when he's a second round pick? Just because of all the guys in the secondary, and you, you don't know the condition Greedy Williams is going to be in. But if the shoulder's healthy, you know, is he starting ahead of Greg? Is Greg coming in as is a nickel? You know, I I don't know. And and obviously the Browns are are going to be running five and six and seven defensive packs out there the way the NFL's played today. But it just feels like, I mean, I saw Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki enough to know last year that JOK could make the biggest impact on this defense as a rookie. To me, that was the easy one when that, that question was asked in one of the exercises we did after the draft. I mean, yeah, I think he's going to play 50% of the snaps and I think he could play 80% of the snaps, right? Like he's a prototype fit for what they ask in a will linebacker in the base defense. And when you only play two linebackers most of the time, most of the time it's because you're matching up with other teams' passing attacks. And a guy that can run with tight ends, when you play in the division with Mark Andrews and you play against Travis Kelsey, it's going to be on the field a lot, right? So, so yeah, to me, I mean, a, a lot can change. And, like, in the live chat today, someone said, well, which rookies you make an impact? And I said, man, it's a long season. But, like, yeah, that guy, to me, will be playing and playing a lot. Um, game one, game eight onward and you know we'll see obviously how his role exactly evolves but he'll be playing a lot right away so why did we keep hearing 
that one of the reasons that he fell was because teams didn't know where he fit and didn't know how to use him and where to put him. What is it about the Brown scheme that they don't have that concern? Well, I think they had the concern a little bit. Um, I think a lot more linebackers, Jason, are are 225 and 230, even though they're listed at 240 and 245. You know, he's 215, and Notre Dame used him sometimes as a slot corner, sometimes as a safety. Uh, I don't think he's going to do those things in the NFL level, at least not maybe except in emergencies or on, you know, very rare occasions. But you do worry about, okay, when you are in your base defense and he is lined up as a traditional linebacker, like, can you keep that 310-pound guard and that 260-pound tight end from getting to him, right? Um, so, in a way, he's a pick to combat the Ravens and, and to, to keep up with Lamar Jackson and to keep up with Mark Andrews. And in another way, you know, power teams are going to come get him. But I just think a lot of teams weren't exactly sure what position was best for him, you know, in their base defense. And so I think that was part of, of the drop more than anything else. All right, let's get into Newsom. This seemed like everyone kind of had him going to Cleveland. I mean, that was Dane. Dane had mocked Greg to Cleveland, I think, in his first mock and had held on to that all throughout. Why why was this such a no? I mean, from the Browns' perspective, position-wise, obviously, the cornerback is a need on this team. But why was this matchup, why was this union so obvious to so many people for so long? And what makes it a good fit? Well, I, I think it was, wait, there's a corner from Northwestern, and he's going to run 4-3-7. Oh, Andrew Berry's going to take him. I, <laughs> I, I'm not even being funny. Like, I, I really mean that. And then I think it was, okay, he's a legitimate six foot. He's only 20 years old. His athletic testing numbers are in the 90th percentile. And, like, we've seen him play. Like, last year, teams did not even throw his way, right? So – you're looking for man-to-man corners that are six foot that can run, and there's just not many of those guys, right? Um, and it's funny because a commenter brought this up last week. Like, how can you like a six-two, two hundred receiver? Like, you've seen these guys, Jason. Like, it's rare that a receiver is six-two and two hundred and can run. Like Odell is a shade over six foot in one eighty-five, one ninety, yeah. and can fly, right? Like when you are a six foot corner you are a big corner you know there's very few Richard Shermans on the planet right right so like I just think the Browns have have a type and it's smart it's top athletically it's upside he's 20 years old he only played three years in college but he was the kind of talent that always only intended to play three years in college and I I just think that there was a lot to think that was going to fit there you know they were definitely going to take a corner in the first round or the second round. They they just were. That's how it was going to work out. And to to get a guy like that still at 26 because teams had other needs, I think they thought was a slam dunk. I, I certainly thought it all along. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And I thought you made a, a great point that he was the first three and out player under Pat Fitzgerald. That's that's 
that's pretty telling. I mean, Northwestern obviously doesn't turn out a ton of NFL talent, first round talent particularly, but to be a three and out at Northwestern, I, I think is that's that's noteworthy. Yeah, um, you, you know that's what you're looking for in these guys, and a lot of times you're scrambling um, from a scouting standpoint for the three and out players because you know there's just there's a, a day they declare by and you're not legally supposed to scout them, but. Northwestern's played in the Big Ten Championship, you know, what, the last two years or two out of the last three years. Um, you know, he, he was a big-time recruit who was from Chicago. He chose to stay home. Like, smart teams know, and they know what they want. And just from watching the film, his traits were obvious, right? And they looked into the background. They said, we like this kid. You know, the only knock was he had missed time with injuries in all three of his years, but you know, they were, they were football injuries. They weren't like long lasting things requiring major surgeries and making him miss time. So they felt good about it. And and again, like, I think it got a little hairy. They also looked into Caleb Farley, the corner who had had dropped, you know, had the two back surgeries, the torn ACL opted out of last year. Um, He went at 22. So it was real easy for the Browns to sit and get Greg Newsom at 26. And I don't think they deviated much from the plan at all. Is that concerning? How is that possible that a guy with all those injury concerns and didn't even play last year goes above him? Well, I think without those injury concerns, Caleb Farley goes in the top 10 or 14. So um, I just, you know, you you have to ask yourself, like, how risk averse are we? Or more specifically, like, what is our value on taking this guy? And I think if the Browns had been picking 16th, their outlook would have been different. But to sit at 26, I think all along they could say, we like these two or three players. And when you get to 20 and all three of those players are still there, you don't have to do anything crazy. You don't have to have a last argument. You sit and you wait and you turn in the card on Greg News. Okay, so I'll ask you a question that you cannot possibly answer. It's impossible to answer today because I love asking you questions like that. Who's starting game one, Greg Newsom or Greedy Williams? Who stop it? Who's starting opposite Denzel Ward? Yeah, um, you know, I think probably Greedy, assuming he gets back. Um, but I don't know. We just don't know. I mean, until we see Greedy and Grant Delpit in uniform, I, I can't tell you what my expectation level is because it's not very high, right? Um, you know, is a 20-year-old corner, could he be out there? Yes. If he's out there game one, the ball's going his way every single time. So I think Troy Hill is an option. Uh, as well, even though ideally you play in the slot. I, I think it. I think that comes down to who you play in week one, yeah. Jason, and do you get through you know, unscathed? I think last year, sure. the first four days of training camp, the Browns lost two corners and went scrambling and dumpster diving and everything else. But yep. like, if, if the top four all make it through training camp and all ready to go, I would think that it would be Greedy Williams or Troy Hill. Now, maybe Newsom is just that good, and that's a good thing, but any rookie corner is going to get targeted every single time if he's out there early in the season. Yeah. So I think you said early on you thought nine new starters. I said eight. I, I thought uh, obviously Denzel Miles and uh, I, I still think Ronnie Harrison is a starter in the secondary. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But this is going to be a completely different defense, obviously. That's a good thing. You know, I wrote over the weekend to me – you know, last year, coming out of the draft and free agency last year, it was no more excuses for Baker Mayfield. He's got everything he needs. And to me, it feels like, okay, no more excuses for Joe Woods. He has everything he needs. 
the Browns should be flexible. They should be able to scheme a bunch of different ways, throw a ton of different looks at guys. you got guys who can move around. You know, you can play Jadavian and Miles next to each other. You can line them up outside. Uh, you know, JOK is a guy, it seems, that you could do a lot of different things with. Obviously, in the secondary, you've got guys you can move in and out. Harrison and Delpit. We already talked about Newsom and Denzel and, and Greedy. There is... There is nothing missing defensively from this team, I don't think. Is there? Is there something else that, and if you had a wish list right now, you'd say, you know what, this looks good, but I wish they had one more X. Yeah, I mean, they're dumpster diving at defensive tackle, you know, because they they felt they had to cut Sheldon. And they're going to church and praying that that Tack McKinley and Jadavian Clowney can put together, you know, a total of 25, 30 games, right? To, to play there. But no, you said it. And, and one thing about drafting defensive players in today's game, you know, when you draft a left guard, he's a left guard, except he can play right in a pinch. When you draft a running back, he's a running back, except maybe he can return kicks or occasionally do something out of the slot. Right. But when you draft defensive players today, you're envisioning them, how they fit in the base defense, in the nickel defense, in the defense, when you really start getting good players around them and start feeling yourself. Right. And, Absolutely, they envisioned Grant Delpit lining up in places that nobody on last year's roster could. Absolutely, yep. they envisioned JOK playing a role that nobody on last year's roster could. And the same goes for Clowney, especially when you mix him in with Garrett. So, yeah, that that is absolutely part of it. Um, you would always think you would be expanding the packages anyway in today's NFL in the second year under a defensive coordinator. But, yes, totally changing the talent having the coordinator in place, having evaluated last year, remade the linebacker room, you know, remade the, the defensive line. <laughs> I mean, it's totally remade. You said it might not end up being nine new starters because Ronnie Harrison could be a starter and could be considered a starter. And Jacob Phillips only started technically a couple of games last year, but he was always, as soon as they got him healthy at midseason, he was always the linebacker they wanted to see play the most. They just weren't sure how ready he was at 21 years old having missed all that time. So, again, with like Greedy and Delpit, they didn't just miss last year. They had significant injuries, and they missed a year of practice, and they missed 16 chances to get roasted, right? Yeah. So you're going to bring them along at a certain pace. But do I absolutely agree with your premise that the personnel is there for this defense to take a huge leap? You know, with the thought in mind that taking a huge leap really shouldn't be that tough considering how bad they were for most of last year. Yes, I absolutely think it's fair to expect a huge leap. Okay, so two years ago, after they traded Kevin Zeitler, we went on all year with the right guard conundrum, and and no one would, no one emerged to take that spot. Is that is there a fear that defensive tackle could be this year's version of of that scenario where there's nobody there? And I also want to bring up that text that I sent you about is our defensive tackles being de-emphasized in the NFL because teams don't run it as much, and you said no. And I just want you to explain why why I was off on that. And and you said it's linebacker. I was fascinated by the whole thing, and I would like to hear you explain it now verbally rather than trying to do it over a text. Well, the way they're dumpster diving at defensive tackle says they know they have an issue. But I think regardless of what your scheme is, Jason, or, or the situation, I just think guys that can be disruptive from the inside and specifically – can rush the passer from the inside, but more 
generally and more in the Browns sense, when you were the worst team in the league on fourth down defense and in the bottom six and third down defense, you can't tell me the defensive tackle is devalued, right? Geno Atkins of the Bengals was one of the best and most underrated players in the league for a long time. And he was a freaking load on the inside. Commanded double teams, beat double teams, made rookie guards look silly. So I, in that area, I don't think it's being devalued. Now, like I said, ideally, do they envision moving Clowney around? Do they envision Billings coming off his year off and, and being a better than average player? Yes. Do they envision Jordan Elliott being a better than average player um, in his second year? Yes. We just have to see it. You know, we, we, we just have to see it. I, I thought Billings has always been an explosive, disruptive interior player. Those are hard to find. Um, what will he be after his year off? I, I, I don't know. You know, they think obviously that, that he'll be good. So that is interesting how it shifted. I mean, I would actually look at linebacker now as a strength of this defense. And I would look at defensive tackle as the weakest group on the whole team. Now, how it's actually going to shake out and use guys and move guys around. You know, we'll see. I, I do see the defense as much stronger on paper and with the chance to be much better, both in the terms of it being a low bar from last year and having the talent to, once those guys settle in, you know, really being able to to match up with some of the better offenses and, and you know, for Miles to do what Miles does, which is cause havoc, cause turnovers. And I, 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 I'm like, I love the Jadavian Clowney signing. I don't know where his body is you know, or, or where his mind is, you assume it's in the right place, but like this guy can take over games and stretches. And if you have two guys on the front that can take over games, I'm not sure it really matters where you line them up. If you know what I mean. So given the importance still for the middle of defense, is this something that could bring down the defense? If you're, if you're weak in the middle, is this something that could bring the whole thing down defensively? Or do you think they've got enough to to cover the gaps and patch and glue and staple this thing together enough in the middle to be okay? Yeah, you know, yes and no. Um, they didn't cut Sheldon lightly, right? I, I think they saw the Anthony Walker signing as a guy who was going to provide the the brains and, and the kind of proven leadership that, you know, they were partly going to lose. I think they bring in Malik Jackson even at 31 years old is a guy who can rush the passer, who's played in big games and can kind of fill Sheldon's role that way. You know, I think they add skill and hunger with McKinley and Clowney on one-year deals. And and they just think they got better up the middle with with John Johnson at safety, with bringing Delpa back or, or you know, Harrison being settled in. So, yeah, like I said, I still have concern. Until I see this defense getting people to the ground, you know, and, and consistently making plays other than Miles just – making superhuman plays, then yes, I'll have concerns. But I, I do think you still have to score. And I think there's a lot of reasons to think that this defense can be better in a lot of areas. Rounds four through six, who jumped out at you that they took? Was there was there one guy that we should circle and keep an eye on for this year and then for the future? A different yeah, one for James the future. Hudson jumped out. Um, I don't think they thought there was any shot he was going to be there in the fourth round. And I think Realistically, there's a chance this is the last year you keep that O-line together. Ideally, it, it's not, but, you know, he's a tackle in college. Um, he's still kind of new to the position. He can move inside. He, he might not have the ideal length to be an NFL tackle, but he's a nasty, really skilled dude. Um, 
and you pay big Bill Callahan the big bucks to transform those guys. I mean, last year we were talking about the offense, right? There's there's one question going into training camp. Who's going to be the right guard? Now we're talking about Wyatt Teller is the best right guard in the league, right? Yep. So yep. he's up. Uh, Teller's up after this year. Treader's 30. Betonio's 30. You know, obviously your tackles are both young and, and under contract for a long time, but you, you just don't know in, in this league, right? And um, we've seen before that moving Betonio out there isn't the answer, so – I think that's a really smart pick. Um, they had to start nine different guys on the O lineman on the O line last year, and you know one of those comes with a huge asterisk because Joel's Joel's was uh, COVID, and it was the postseason, and it doesn't interfere with Joel's streak of never missing a snap, let alone a game, right? But like, you know, Conklin couldn't play right away on the Thursday turnaround because he had been banged up. You know, Chris Hubbard had to start a couple of games at tackle, and then he got hurt in week 15, and you didn't have yep. him the rest of the year, and he's been your super utility guy. Yep. So you just don't know. Um, JC and Joel, those streaks of not missing a snap are super impressive, and those are super impressive dudes who are tough as hell. But Father Time is undefeated, and, you know, we'll just see how that works out. I can't believe Joel Batonio is 30 years old. Like you, you said that, and I had to like sit up in my chair. I can't believe, I, I don't know why that shocked me. It shocks me that Joel's 30 years old. That's like old man territory. Well, it is in this league. It, it, it really is. Um, and there's few positions that it's not. So he and Shredder both make a lot of money. And I tell you, they're worth every penny. But as we've seen with Richardson, is the Browns now butt up against the cap. And the Browns now have the first world problems of having too many good players instead of hoping like crazy, like they've been for years, that guys will work out. You know, difficult decisions are going to have to be made. So we will see how that goes. Um, and look, they, they've invested in the depth. They brought Greg Sennett back at tackle just in case. They drafted James Hudson. You know, they're hoping to get Hubbard back. They drafted Nick Harris last year. Michael Dunn started the game in the playoffs and played really well. And he spent the year on the practice squad playing all three positions just in case. They didn't need him really until week 18. When are they going to need him this year? And what position is he going to play? I don't know. But they they have smartly um, invested there. And then Hudson, I think, is the guy that's the more longer-term investment where the other guys are, okay, just be ready if we need you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, DPJ last year was a great pick late in the draft. Is Demetric Felton that guy this year? Is he going to get on the field? Yeah, I, you know, I think he'll he'll absolutely be given the chance to get on the field as, as the returner, um, no doubt. And, and I think DPJ – I mean, I think back to training camp last year, there would be a couple times where DPJ would be running, and you didn't know if he was running the right route, and you didn't know if there's any, he had any business catching the ball, but the ball would be thrown like two feet behind him, and he would just reach up and stride and grab it. And you'd be like, yeah. oh, my God. Because it didn't just happen once, right? So, yeah. You add in how ready he got himself last year. You know, the first two times he played, it was total emergency duty. It wasn't like they groomed him all week in practice. You add in his skill and the experience he got from last year, and and I think the expectations on him are super high. So, yeah, um, I don't know that Felton can be that, but I definitely think that Felton is in the mix. Now, I don't think they want to move on from the fullback or from Dearness Johnson, who who's just like it. A dude that they can ask to do anything and he'll do it in a yeah. pinch. And on paper right now, on May 4th, there's no room in the receiver room for Demetric Felton. But will I be shocked if he makes the team? No. And if I thought all along, which is why I was mocking him as a fourth rounder throughout the process, 
that he can make some offense better and be a guy who's stepping up in January and making plays for you? Absolutely. When when I saw that pick come across, I was like, this Barry is a wizard. <laughs> like he really, <laughs> he really is. Right. So like most teams probably judge Demetric Felton as too small, and that's why he was there in the sixth round. But when a guy might be your third down back, might be your kick in a year, might be your kick returner this year, and might be your slot return receiver in two years. Like, I'm intrigued as hell. Like, he has some natural playmaking ability. This is not, again, this is not a guy that lit up one pro day and had a great agent, and we all tweeted about him. Like, this is a guy that was UCLA's leading rusher, that returned a kick for a touchdown, that played receiver when they needed him to, then went to the senior bowl and played receiver after playing running back all year, and absolutely looked like he he belonged out there. So, we'll see. And he's a sixth rounder. So, throw the dart. See what happens. Sure. Like, I, I really thought, I couldn't believe it. Like, I just assumed that he got picked. Because, you know, stuff starts moving so fast right. on Saturday. You know, yep. doing everything. Like, I just assumed that some other team would have picked him. And I saw the Browns picked him come across the screen. I was like, holy shit. And Barry did all that while becoming a new father the day of the draft. That that was pretty hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, they're riding a pretty good heater, aren't they? They, they, they really are. And so this is a fickle league. And this is an unforgiving league. And, you know, they're going to, just like last year, they had to learn to handle success. They have to handle further success and further spotlight. And they're going to have to avoid the sky falling when they inevitably drop a game, right? Or or someone something bad happens. 20 and 0, they're not dropping anything. But, man, like, <laughs> the, piece, the pieces are there. And the experiences from last year should serve them well. The defense should be improved. Like, this is a really good team. And let's just admit, since we were telling the story about two years ago, like there was a time two years ago, Jason and I sat down with one of our cohorts in Boston and we talked about what it's like when you have to cover a team that makes the AFC championship game. Yep. So like, we're going to, and then the joke was on us and Freddie was, <laughs> Freddie was on the stage, right? But, um, like, we're going to revisit those conversations in the coming months. I, I think that's the – I mean, is that the bar, the AFC title game? That's a hell of a bar to set, but I certainly we've already laid out why this team's well, down enough to get but, there. No, I'm glad you said that. The realistic and, to me, necessary goal is to win the division. You are not – you cannot realistically expect to win multiple road games in January. You can't. So okay. you win the division and play at least one at home, and you're good yeah. enough to win the division. Then, yeah, I mean, when you get in the tournament – is the realistic expectation that you can win it if you're there? Yeah, I think so. And I think there's a lot of examples of that. You know, I just would, like I said, my thing is on Thanksgiving last year, which is really about the first time that Baker played a great game. If the season would have ended on Thanksgiving, the Tampa Bay Bucks would not have even made the playoffs. That's crazy. So That's crazy. It's about having your dudes and about being good at the right time. And Getting I know hot the Bucks the right went time. three road games and they're the exception to the rule. But when you look at you're going to have to beat either Lamar or Josh Allen or both and Patrick Mahomes and potentially someone else, you need at least one of those games to be at home. You do. And the and the Bucks also have arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. So right. that well, helps listen, when that, you're playing on the, the road. That's the story of the NFL right now. The greatest QB to ever play at 43 or 44 years old goes there and takes this downtrodden franchise in one year, they win the Super Bowl, and they maneuver the cap. They bring back all 22 starters. That's that's the biggest story in the league. The second biggest story in the league is the Cleveland Browns. 20 years of yeah. shit are now a real yeah. contender. 
Hey, real quick, spin around the rest of the division. What did you think of the drafts of the Bengals, Steelers, and Ravens? I thought the Steelers had an excellent draft, but I still have big questions about where they are because I just think in pro sports it's hard to be in the now, right, and still look into the future. Um, I just don't know that they can block, they run the ball and, and take it, you know, keep Big Ben from being hung out to dry at 40 years old this year. I just, I just don't know that they can. I thought the Bengals had a strong draft. I still worry about them protecting Burrow, and we don't even know if Burrow's going to be ready for week one. I think yeah. the world of his talent, if he played in another organization, I'd bet him to win MVP every single year. Um, the Ravens, they're the Ravens. You know, I was a little surprised they went receiver in the first, but they like the kid. They think he's what they need. They added Sammy Watkins, who at least for eight or ten games should be able to help them. Um, J.K. Dobbins is a superstar in the making. If they figure out the offensive line, they're right there. Like, I think, Jason, there's going to be a Monday or Sunday night game in December, either Baltimore or Cleveland, and I think it's going to determine the division. That's fun. That's fun. That's going to be a lot of fun. And you had a great point to open this. The Browns are I, – I don't see how it goes any other way that they open the season at Kansas City or with the divisional game on a Sunday or Monday night. What a way to start it off. Yeah, it, it, it might not necessarily be that, but I'm telling you, in the first two weeks, they're going to play a national TV game. In yeah. the first two months, they're going to play two or three national TV games. All six division games are on the table. At KC and at GB, jump off the page, right? Yep. And yep. Then, that's not even to mention at New England. Right, that's not even to yep. at the Chargers. So, yep. we'll see. Yeah, Kansas City or Pittsburgh, that's my guess. Week one, Kansas City or Pittsburgh. Uh, it's been fun. It's going to be a great year. We got a lot to talk about all the way up until. Um, but wrap us up and get us out of here until until next time. Yeah, so, guys, it's real interesting to me. And, and to me, it's less interesting for the Browns because they proved last year that they were – were real adults and could get themselves ready without it. But this tug of war that's going on with the players association and saying, we don't want to report and, you know, rookies want to come to rookie minicamp. First of all, even the first rounders are wide eyed and they want to get there and they need to get in the building and they need to get with their coaches, and you know, get ready. But especially the young guys, they don't want to skip a voluntary camp every day. They're trying to make the team. Right. So this is kind of a fascinating tug of war. The Browns 10 days from now are supposed to have a rookie minicamp. Now, it wouldn't be much on the field anyway, but really those 72 hours could be valuable for guys just getting in the building, getting in front of their coaches. I mean, hell, a smart person told me a long time ago, we pay 25 of these guys to be coaches. They need to be coaching football all the time, right? Um, So we'll see how that goes. Like I said, I don't think that is in any way, shape, or form the difference between the Browns winning 9, 11, or 13 games this year. But I think it's kind of fascinating. You know, other than that, the attention goes to the to the extensions. Are they going to pay Nick Chubb? Are they going to pay Denzel Ward? I think in both cases, I've been very clear. You pay those guys and you pay them now. You know, I think there's reasons on both the Brown side and Baker side to wait, but I wouldn't be surprised. We don't have much precedent here. But, I mean, you know, there are a lot of teams across the league that have one major contract decision pending. And, obviously, in an ideal world, you get it done and sing kumbaya before training camp starts. But the Browns have three to five major training major contract decisions pending. You know, they have two and a half months before training camp. They have all this hype surrounding them, this brave new world they're entering. Um, And so, yeah, like I said, they're a fascinating team. They're the second most fascinating team in the NFL. It's it's fun for us. It's a welcome change from how it's been. And and we'll see. Um, I saw a win total last week at nine and a half. And I, I, you know, I think it's over. I I, I think it's over that. I, I think 
at plus 150, I'd absolutely bet them to win the division. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but it's certainly a fun time to be a Browns fan. I hope you guys stick with us here on The Athletic and enjoy the round.